Welcome. Welcome, listener. Welcome, Matt. Thank you. We are back. Episode 6 of God vs. God. And what we're doing here, for anyone coming in new to the show, is matching ancient Greco-Roman gods in a head-to-head contest, hoping to name the Golden Goat winner as the first entry into our new, eventually ecumenical, pantheon. (laughs) (laughs) You like that, Pitt, don't you? Raising the stakes, that's great. The ecumenical, yes. Yeah, that's nice. It's it's high-minded. To help save this troubled world. So... This time, we have a literal titan against a proverbial titan Mm. of the Pantheon. Helios, god of the sun, versus Athena, the goddess of wisdom. Right. So, you and I exchanged a couple of emails earlier this week Mm -hmm. and gave me a little bit of concern about our ability to fairly judge this contest. Go on. You know, it's safe to say neither of us are... Would be termed sun worshippers. Mm, S U N. Yes, that's correct. Or S O N, I suppose. Yeah. No, yes, no, Either one. Yes. S U N. Yes. So, in fact, uh, we both had a couple of, say, antagonistic run ins with the sun. <laughs> yes. In our past. That is true. Together uh, and apart. You're correct yes, about that. Yes. Uh, as people who would trace our ancestry to the darkest, cloudiest northern corners <laughs> right. of the world. Yes. And who also unaccountably failed to take advantage of modern sunscreen. Which is amply available. Available uh... at every single drugstore in the country. Many of them open (laughs) 24-7. Sad but true. Yes. However, and I can't speak for you, uh, but I'm also not sure I've ever been personally associated with wisdom Mm. either. Certainly not by others. (laughs) But, it's, it's always implied, I, I think. Maybe if, yeah. not, if not always explicit, it's always implied. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not against it in principle, but, uh, you know, not as familiar with the practice. So <laughs> as evidenced by the aforementioned uh, lack of sunscreening. So yeah, that's correct. You know, I think we're probably I think we're probably close enough to be able to judge this fairly. Uh, so and uh, allow us to carry out our sacred podcast duties. I'd like to think so. I mean, thankfully, well, the podcast is a medium that does not show the viewer the redness of my skin after my last <laughs> run-in with Helios, but you'll have to use your imagination, listener, for, for that. Right. Um, and you, you had uh, something you wanted to add before we kick off? Well, yeah, one quick addendum uh, to our last episode, Andrew. So I was contacted by a listener uh, this week who mentioned a potential flaw in our prior episode, which oh. I could not fathom such a thing, but <laughs> I'm a man Cute. of the people. I heard him out. All right. Apparently, at the end of the episode, you may recall, I suggested that in a world without Prometheus, you and I would be stuck eating nothing but ramen noodles. <laughs> I mean, you know, pretty good line. But the listener pointed out correctly that without fire, the gift of Prometheus to mortal men, it will be very difficult to make, prepare, or consume ramen noodles. Oh, no. Now, Andrew, you and I take great pains to make sure that all matters of science depicted on this program are as accurate as possible. Uh, so I feel I must acknowledge this oversight. I, I do regret the error, and I, I do thank the listener for pointing it out. So well, as always, I, I am a, a work in progress. So there ends, ends the addendum, and the floor is yours to kick things off. Uh, well, uh, with, you know, I, I think uh, the transparency with which you address that was is commendable. It, it's, so, <laughs> humility never fails. Right. So let's get started. This is Episode 6, Season 1, Greco-Roman style, Helios. 
versus Athena. Alright, and today I have Helios, uh, who is God of the Sun, as we've talked about. Uh, we're going to hear about some pretty shaky geography <laughs> and some even more questionable planetary science and astronomy. So again, this is not a science podcast. That, that is true. If you've been listening <laughs> to this for scientific purposes, you've, you've been sorely misguided. That right. is, that is but, true. but we'll also hear about some great myths. Uh, and ultimately, here's some very interesting candidate for our Golden Goat winner. Um, you know, in contrast to the science, the etymology is, is rock solid here. Mm. Helios and its Roman equivalent, Soul, mm -hmm. uh, both mean sun. Uh, <laughs> that's, it. <laughs> that's it. That's what they mean uh, in their respective languages. So uh, pretty straightforward there. In origin, Helios is actually our, our second titan after Prometheus in our mm -hmm. last episode. Uh, Helios is the son of Hyperion, who was the titan god of heavenly light, and Theia, the titan goddess of sight and blue sky, mm. you know, which uh, leads directly to the sun. So being a titan uh, means two things, at least in Helios's case. You know, he was around for the earliest of days, right. and he had to make some tough decisions dur during the uh, Titanomachy, uh, which is that war between the Olympians and the Titans. Yes. Uh, you know, and because Helios was around in those early days, we actually get an alternative myth about the creation of animals, hmm. uh, one different from the unintelligent design by the idiot brother Epimetheus that we <laughs> yes. got in the last episode. Such amateurish, yeah. So uh, in this telling, uh, the various creatures uh, of the Earth spring out of the primeval mud of Gaia, uh, the Earth and Earth goddess, mm -hmm. um, as... It was dried by the heat of Helios, and that sort of mud formed into little clay mm -hmm. animals and uh, of various different sizes and shapes. But the ones we know now were brought about, brought into order by the passage of time through Kronos. So those three sort of team up uh, mm -hmm. to make the animals. And then the uh, Titanomachy uh, story we get about them is... Uh, from the historian uh, Diodorus Siculus. So he's a historian, not a mythographer, mm. not a poet. So, you know, it, it must be legit. Yeah, double-checking the sources. Yeah, yeah he's, he's, rules he's, of history. Got it. Yep. He's reporting on, on the, his history of this war. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, he tells us at the beginning of the conflict, Zeus gives a sacrifice uh, to Uranus, the sky, Gaia, the earth, and Helios, the sun, uh, to divine the outcome of the war and the omens, and also see, you know, which Titans just might be willing to come on over to the Olympian side. Yeah. And of course, Helios uh, and Gaia and Uranus, uh, actually, maybe not Uranus, but a guy come over and uh, end up being on his side. So actually some nice diplomacy on Zeus's part to offer, you know, sacrifice to some potential converts yeah i don't normally peg zeus for a diplomat but uh i guess oh. in those early days he yes he had together yeah but before he was the king of the gods he had a little <laughs> had to walk a little bit lighter so <laughs> yeah. um so of course helios main job is providing heat 
and light of day and you know being the sun right uh, uh that's it's uh nearly a full-time job <laughs> so he does this every day by riding across the sky uh east to west in a four-horse chariot mm. uh called the quadriga uh which he's credited with inventing oh nice so before that uh, apparently there were two horse chariots <laughs> there were three three horse chariots uh maybe five but nobody nobody thought about four no, it's like the Gillette saying. with all the blades, you know, somebody had to come up with it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Brilliant. So he got the patent on that. Um, <laughs> and we get this description uh, of his ride across the sky from a Homeric hymn uh, to Helios. And it says, as Helios rides in his chariot, he shines upon men and deathless gods. And piercingly, he gazes with his eyes from his golden helmet. So... He's gazing with his eyes, eyes. So he's he's doing that correctly, which is yeah. good to hear. That's you know? dead on. <laughs> he, he may have invented that. Uh, it's hard to say. Um, but then it goes on. Bright rays beam dazzling from dazzlingly from him, and his bright locks streaming form his temples, gracefully enclose his far seen face. Then, when he has stayed his golden yoked chariot and horses. He rests upon the highest point of heaven until marvelously he drives them down again through heaven to the ocean stream. So he takes the chariot up into the air with him, himself providing the light for all the, all the earth and, uh, you know, gets up at noon up at the top, takes a little, little yep. look around and then drives down like a, uh, like a roller coaster. Yeah. So, you know, in this telling, he's he's the literal son uh, riding over the flat earth, uh, keeping an eye on the world. Um, yeah. And, and that one of his main attributes, other than being the son, is he is also the god of sight and the all-seeing sun. So that'll, mm -hmm. that'll come up a couple more times. Mm -hmm. um, but as you may have noticed, this is a one-way flight, right? Right. He, he's in the flat earth situation, the good thing from... A sun god perspective is you get your nights off. That, right? I guess that's true, right? Yeah. But it's a long ride. But at the end of the day, you're done. You have some rest and relaxation. <laughs> you know, and there's no pesky Western hemisphere. <laughs> no. Hemisphere. No, what? Nope. Yeah. <laughs> but the problem is by the next morning, you need to be back on the east side of the earth. Yeah. To start over by dawn. So. It's like skiing. You gotta you gotta find your way yeah. back to the, where you started. Yeah. Yeah. No. That's that's a good that's a good analogy because <laughs> uh, there were a couple of different ways that uh, Helios uh, could do this. Um, one of the ways is that he rides back east in a golden cup boat. Oh. On the river ocean. So the the, the Greeks considered uh, the Atlantic and to be part of a river actually that, that travels around there so he's got a, a bowl boat or a cup boat uh which is just what it sounds like it's like a giant bowl so no need um, for horses they just all pile into the cup boat yeah and they and they, and they ride back in this in this yep. this scenario um it's kind of the least dignified of his methods kind of bombing along in a bowl um but there is a related story about this uh, around heracles so Heracles is crossing the desert in North Africa on his way to the Hiberian Sea, which is uh, the farthest West Sea, uh, for the tenth of his twelve labors. And it's, you know, it's in summer, it's North Africa, and desert, uh, probably in like Libya. 
and it's just really, really hot. Right. Um, he's walking along, and he's just so hot that he, he grabs his bow and arrow and shoots an arrow at the sun. Oh, which, yeah. you know, I think you and I can probably relate to. Yeah, absolutely. Because in, in his day, there was not so much a 24-7 availability of sunscreen. So no, no. His yeah. only tool was, was anger and his arrow. That's right. And him being Heracles, you know, the, the arrow actually reaches that high. And it's a near miss. Uh, he had that kind of range. Just, just didn't quite hit the target, though. Yeah. yeah. Um, but then Heracles, yeah, that was a little hot-headed. And he expresses, <laughs> uh, you know, a good deal of... Uh, contrition and helios laughs it off and mm. says you know that's it's i get it it's hot uh, <laughs> and he even loans loans him the golden bull boat uh to help him complete his labor which is to steal a bunch of cattle from somewhere for some reason man stand up um, guy yeah yeah and and uh, he in the bull boat apparently is big enough that he can even take the stolen cattle uh in this so uh so that, that's method one. Method two is that Helios rides back east on a bed floating through the uh, river ocean. Mm. So, you know, it's a seaworthy bed. Uh, Air sure. mattress, perhaps. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Maybe, maybe that one actually is less dignified. I don't know. Yeah. Um, and Do you then, need oars or anything for that? Or do you keep your oars in the sort just, of bedside no, holster? Sleep. I don't know how that would work. He's, he's described as sleeping and the river current just takes just him out. Um, I don't know where the horses are in this scenario, but yeah, there you go. Probably getting some um, shut eye along the way. That's not bad. Yeah, I mean, maybe they are in the bull boat and he's just <laughs> he's separately in, in in the bed. Uh, but then there's another version in the Argonautica uh, where his chariot dives straight into the ocean, as you can imagine, the sun uh, going down below the the ocean yeah. if you're looking at it from the. Uh, from shore and causing the ocean to hiss and boil and then he either travels through the underworld oh or he just sort of emerges on the other side like a, a portal type version so we, I mean, personally that's what the, the version i would use would be the portal but yeah there's, you're sort of waving off a bit of the science there at the end, or maybe a portal of some kind in there <laughs> <is. laughs> yes the science yeah the science is a little, a little unclear a little shaky. On, on, on all this so um you know, but Helios had had reasons to make the return journey quickly because uh, waiting for him back in the Far East was his palace mm. and his entourage um, and perhaps his wife um, or at times his wives. Um, similar to, you know, how Hades and Hypnos have their palaces away from Olympus, only mm -hmm. his is much brighter and uh, somewhat less uh, depressing. Yes, so, I hope so. So we get a, a, a description of it from Ovid's Metamorphosis. And he says, The palace of the sun towered with raised columns, bright with glittering gold and gleaming bronze like fire. Shining ivory crowned the roofs. The twin doors radiated light from polished silver. The work of art was finer than the materials. And then it has this big, long thing about the fresco. Uh, and then it talks about uh, Helios's son, Phaethon, who who will come into this uh, later, but Helios's son immediately made his way to his father's presence, but stopped some way off, unable to bear his light too close. Wearing a purple robe, Helios sat on a throne, shining with bright emeralds. To, to the right and left stood day, month, and year, the century, and equally spaced hours. Young spring stood there circled with a crown of flowers. Naked summer, 
wore a garland of ears of corn. Hmm. Autumn was stained with trodden grapes, and icy winter had white, bristling hair. So he's got the hours, the years, the seasons are all just kind of at his palace at, you know, because yeah. he's, he's the son. He kind of runs that show. That is an entourage for all right. And he's got yeah, the purple he, robe and everything. He's styling. Yeah. Yeah. yeah he's, he's got a little, like Prince thing going on. <laughs> um, so uh, then in the morning when it's time to go, the gate is opened by Eos, uh, who's his sister, who's also the do- goddess of the dawn. And the horses are yoked by to the chariot by the hour goddesses. And the morning star, uh, known as either Esophorus or Lucifer, uh, shepherds the stars out of the way and, and prepares the way for the sun to go through the sky. And then he's back at it. Uh, his daily journey through the sky, lighting, warming, and observing the world. Um, sometimes Eos would come with him. Uh, just you know, hop her along for the ride because mm-hmm. after dawn she doesn't have a lot else to do. Yeah, might as well you know take. <laughs> she's got that 20, 20 minutes of work and then she's done. So, <laughs> um, on occasion he take a detour to pick someone up in the uh, war with the giants. Uh, he picks up an injured Hephaestus from the battlefield, uh, and then in another episode he picks up his mortal son Aetes, uh, who was injured in a battle. But usually. Most days he's 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 making that journey by himself. So, but he's not adverse to a little bit of carpooling when it makes yeah. sense. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's certainly energy. Nothing if not energy efficient. That's right. Um, and and you mentioned Lucifer briefly there. Yeah. Uh, interesting. I I you don't hear much about his early career uh, yes. working in the palace there. I think later in history he will have a larger part to play, but it's it's interesting to see him in kind of a more menial task yes. early yeah, in that he, uh, that career path. Yeah, he's a different start to the story. This is the prequel, right? <laughs> um, so we've we've met Helios a couple of times already in the, in the podcast, uh, as you'll probably recall. Other listeners may not, but uh, he made an appearance in the first and the second episodes. Uh, in both cases, it was associated with his aspect as the all-seeing sun, mm-hmm. eye of the world. Um, he was the god who saw Hades' abduction of Persephone. Right. And eventually gets around to reporting it to Demeter. <laughs> um, and he was the god who warned Hephaestus about the affair of his wife with Ares. Because he saw um, that too, yeah. He saw that too and, and acted as lookout in that mm-hmm. case. But um, what we didn't talk about that and may or may not have suspected is that in that latter story, there there was some blowback to the sun god. Hmm. Uh, and not from Ares, but from Aphrodite, hmm. who, who did retaliate. And uh, as you might guess, that retaliation comes in the form of a tragic love affair mm. where he is uh, bade by Aphrodite to fall in love uh, in a way that is inevitably going to lead to tragedy. Right. And at that time, he was already in a love affair with a nymph named Clyte, but Aphrodite makes him fall in love with a Babylonian princess named Lakothe. Hmm. So who's a young, who's a princess uh, still living at home. And Ovid tells us about this. And this passage is in the second, is addressed to Helios. Mm-hmm. I'm going to read it. So it's the you here is Helios. So it mm-hmm. says, you who make all countries burn with your fires, burn with a new fire. 
Mm. You who should discern everything, contemplate Lakothe, and your eyes, that ought to be fixed on the whole earth, are fixed on one girl. Sometimes you rise too early in the dawn sky. Sometimes you sink too late into the waves. So he's messed up. He's under the spell of Aphrodite and in love with uh, Lakothe. And so he does, uh, they manage to have their liaison uh, with the girl, but in secret, however, Clytie finds out about it. Mm -hmm. And she's so jealous that she reveals the tryst to Lakothe's father, the king. Mm. And he is furious, uh, to say the least, and has his daughter buried alive. Oh, jeez. So, yes. So, so that, that's his that's his punishment. Is, is... That's, that's his punishment. So <laughs> this is uh, beyond medieval. Uh, yes. And Helios tries to revive uh, Lakothe with her with his rays, but he's opposed by the fates. Yes, which means we work. know. Yeah, you can't get away with that. Yep. No. So so instead, he sprinkles the earth and her body with what Ovid terms a fragrant nectar mm. uh, and this fragrant nectar so-called immediately dissolves the body. So oh. sort of some like breaking bad style, <laughs> it's okay. getting, getting, getting rid of your dead bodies, nectar. <laughs> um, but Just don't dissolve... do it in the upstairs bathroom. That's all we have. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's, that's the instructions. <laughs> um, but then the dissolved body pile uh, puts out some roots Okay. And a shoot of a resinous tree uh, starts coming out of it. And she's been transformed into, and I believe this is the origin story of frankincense. Oh. So frankincense, uh, which becomes famous later. Uh, yes. In some other traditions, uh, yes. that is, look, comes from Lakothe. And of course, as an addendum, things also don't turn out too well for Clytie mm. in this uh, situation. After her betrayal, Helios will have nothing to do with her. And, uh, but Clytie still pines away for the sun god. She refuses to eat and throws herself on the ground, pining only for Helios. Mm -hmm. uh, and she sits there on the ground, just gazing at him uh, in the sky with her eyes following him until eventually her arms and legs also sprout roots and her face turns into a flower. Uh, and she's transformed into a flower called the heliotrope. Oh, yeah. Uh, which is a flower who turns its face to follow the sun in her undying love. Interesting. Um, or obsession, maybe. Is probably, probably yeah, I mean, we're, we're taught at a young age not to stare at the sun. And I guess they don't tell you why, but you, you could turn into a heliotrope. Yeah, they, yeah, that's the addendum they don't tell mm -hmm. you. Yeah. <laughs> science. <laughs> yeah, so there's a, lot, there's a lot of science to keep track of in this episode. <laughs> there is. So if, I hope people are taking notes. Um <laughs> You know, Helios plays a, a small role in the Odyssey uh, as well, which I, I assume maybe the Odyssey might come up in the second uh, a little bit. half of the episode. Yeah. Yep. Um, so when Odysseus lands on an island uh, that has Helios's sacred cattle, which supposedly I think there's supposed to be one white cattle for each day of the year, and, mm. and it says sacred tribe. And he's, he's many times warned, don't go to the island, because if you go to the island, your crew's going to kill one of the the cattle and doom themselves and he says yeah, yeah but if i warn them <laughs> right i can't be trying my guys i'm a i'm rolling with an iron fist we'll be yeah. okay if they promise pinky promise <laughs> uh 
it's gonna be fine. But as soon as he takes a nap, of course, right? They 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 eat some of the, the sacred cattle, uh, figuring they can uh, placate Helios later. But that does not work. Mm. And when they go back out, uh, Zeus strikes the ship with a lightning bolt, killing everyone on board mm. except for Odysseus, right. which because he was know, sleeping. It, it's it's a real precision precision strike there. It is. Well, he had plausible deniability. He's like, yes. yeah, I was sleeping on the job, but that's also my defense. Yeah, there you go. So, uh, Helios had had a number of children uh, that figure into Greco-Roman mythology. Um, his daughter Circe also figures into the Odyssey. Sure, uh, she is a witch goddess um, and is in a number of different myths. His son Aedes is the king of Colchis uh, and figures into the Argonautica and is also the father of Medea, who mm. is a, a mortal uh, witch. But perhaps the most famous story about Helios revolves around his son, Phaeton. So Phaeton is Helios' mortal son with the Oceanid nymph slash Ethiopian queen, Climene. So at the schoolyard one day, uh, Phaedon knows about his parentage, but he's getting teased by some of the kids that they don't really believe him. They, mm. You know, that's just a story your mother told you. <laughs> and and he, he starts to question it too. He says, well, I mean, that seems kind of far-fetched you know, that the son is my father. Yeah, I mean, you think about it, yeah. Yeah, that, that, that doesn't make a lot of sense. But his mother swears uh, that if she is lying, may the sun stop shining. Oh, so, you know, <laughs> and it keeps shining, so it must be true. Uh, but she also tells him uh, to go to his father's palace in the east, and Helios will recognize you as his son. And he does. He, he, he travels uh, to Helios' palace and is received in the throne room, which is that scene we discussed earlier. Mm -hmm. And Helios acknowledges him immediately, says, yeah, proud to have you as my son, uh, you know, stay a while. What can I do for you? And but Phaethon, you know, he wants some proof, you know, for, for the, the kids at school. Uh, they can show them. Mm -hmm. And Helios immediately says, swears that he will grant his son any favor as proof of his paternity. Wow. And then Phaethon replies that what he wants to do is take the chariot for a day. Oh, take it, <laughs> take the old chariot for a spin. Okay. He wants to take the chariot for a day. He wants to be the sun for a day. Okay. And uh, obviously, Helios immediately regrets his oath. He's, yes. This was a mistake. He tries to, <laughs> he tries uh, for a couple, you know, for hours to talk him out of it. You know, this is unsafe. He says, even Zeus himself can't control this chariot. I'm the only one who can. But as we well know, oh. No take-backs. No take-backs in the mythological world. <laughs> nope. Especially one of Helios's, uh aspects is the god of oaths. Oh, is that because, right? Well, so if, if anybody's going to have to keep his word, he's the yes, as As the all-seeing son, he, he was a convenient, you know, take an oath because we know he's watching. That's yeah, true enough. So he's, he's, uh, he's like a recorder in, in court yeah. as well. Um, so Helios... Um, as his sister Eos the Dawn is opening the gates, you know, they're, so they're arguing all night, it's like you know, trying to talk him out of it. Mm -hmm. uh, he calls out the horses. He puts some protective oil on Phaethon, and 
he takes the rays of the sun and puts them into his hair. So the protective oil is enough yeah, to keep I, him. <laughs> again, science. It's like, um, right. And and Phaethon takes off. And, you know, it goes about as well as you would expect for a young teenage boy taking four chariots into the sky. Yeah. Um, immediately, chariot's completely out of control. Uh, he's too light for the horses, so the, the chariot's just sort of flying around. Yeah. Uh, he narrowly misses a couple of constellations Oof. with the chariot. Uh, and then he gets frightened by the claws of the constellation uh, Scorpio. Mm-hmm. And let's go of the reins. Oh, no. And now the horses are going wild. They're going higher and higher, running into constellations. Mm. And then they dive down. And this is where it gets really bad. Close to the earth, because he's still got the rays of the sun. Yeah. In his and the rest of the earth doesn't have that protective oil on them. So he's setting off forest fires, Ugh. burning cities. He's drying rivers. And eventually Gaia, the earth, uh, asks Zeus to put a stop to it. And Zeus kills Phaethon with a thunderbolt. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to say he had it coming, but essentially you got to, you got to fish or cut bait at that point. Yeah. 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 Uh, so he, he's dead. And Helios takes the day off. He's, he's so distraught by, by the death of his son. Um, so there's no son for a day. But mm. luckily, I guess, I don't know, uh, maybe not luckily, but there were so many fires going on. That nobody really noticed the suns. It was bright enough. That's bright and hot enough that the sun for a day. But then the next day, the day after, he reluctantly uh, returns to a repaired chariot and is back uh, on his job. So, you know, and that, that's his main myth. And so, as far as worship goes, uh, I wanted to mention one more of Helios's loves. Uh, because it folds into his longest-standing center of worship in the Greek world. Uh, the goddess nymph Rhodus, who is the personification of the island of Rhodes. And Rhodes was the center of Helios worship in the Greek world. Um, the island is actually said to have been created by Helios. Uh, he didn't show up when they're drawing lots for land. And uh, because he was up being the sun, yeah, it's working. so he so he uh, burned off the water around Rhodes, so it rose up out of the ocean. Uh, and then he and Rhodus uh, have seven sons who are the first kings of the island. And uh, you know, Helios was was a big deal there, on par actually with with Zeus on Rhodes. Wow. And the people of Rhodes made the Colossus of Rhodes which was a bronze statue of Helios, uh, roughly the size of present-day Statue of Liberty. Wow. Um, and one of the wonders of the ancient world, but only stood for about 70 years uh, before being toppled by an earthquake. Hmm. And then advised by both an oracle and, and probably their accountant, uh, the <laughs> islanders decided not to rebuild it. Yeah, you're uh, probably going to be underinsured on that, and it's just not going to be worth it. Yeah. Yeah, they, did, they didn't have uh, earthquake insurance strength. Nope. Enough, so. No force majeure. Yep. Yep. Uh, so that's Helios. You know, hardworking, observant, but still had you know time for for love and family and uh, his own little entourage and palace. You know, it's a lot of new stuff in there. Excellent work, as always. I, I think some recurring themes may may be woven in. Uh, not only just similar characters and, and, and texts, but also uh, that between father and progeny 
is very okay. complicated uh, in, in the stories that you've told. That they, they become even more complex in the second part of our show. So, All right. uh, outstanding. Go with that's well. Let's uh, let's take our break there. Let's uh, take a yep. quick breather, and then uh, we'll be right back in a quick moment for our second segment of God versus God. All right. And now we're back with the second segment uh, of episode six, God versus God, with Athena. Now, well known, a heavy hitter, Andrew, an impressive yeah. resume. Goddess of wisdom is at the top of, of her list, but also you've got goddess of, of handicraft, heroism, courage, war, strategy, industry, cities, long list, a, 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 an impressive array. Of course, the Romans knew her as Minerva, but we're going to stick right. to the Greek version for, for our purposes here. And you know, she was not only known for her wisdom, but also the patron and protectress of, of a lot of cities throughout the ancient world. Of course, predominantly Athens, which is likely where she right. gets her yeah. name. Uh, you'll recall the Parthenon at the Acropolis in Athens. You've, I'm sure you've seen it. Yes. Um, that is prime real estate in those parts. That is dedicated to her. So that is a, a testament to her, her longstanding uh, success as a protector because it remains there to this day. All right. That's true. Yes. Also, very much the warrior. She led soldiers in the battle. She had her Pan-Athenaic Games, which were the most important festival on the calendar of that time. And as you alluded to earlier uh, in the first segment, over the years, uh, she also made appearances in a lot of classic texts, texts, the Iliad, the Odyssey, and so on. Really gets an interesting chapter later in life, um, gets a bit of a, 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 a reputation boost during the Renaissance, where she's embraced as this international symbol of wisdom and the arts and, and classical learning, a symbol of freedom and democracy. It's a it's a long journey that, that, that ends with her current home on the seal of the state of California, where she resides oh. to this day. Um, and it's an impressive final act, particularly since her story does take some kind of unusual and darker turns, which we'll, we'll discover here. So we'll begin with her origin story. One of the stranger tales in the mythological canon, uh, of course, Athena's father is, is our most frequent guest star, Zeus, the big kahuna, yep. the god of gods. And, you know, listeners are going to recall, Zeus has never been shy about being, let's say, unconventional in his approach to fatherhood. And of course, Athena's case is, is no exception. Now, she's born in a manner that's very different from what we call the old-fashioned way. She, of course, springs fully formed directly from the forehead of her father, Zeus. Right. Now, there are differing accounts as to the particulars of how this happened. Um, and in fact, this will be a recurring theme uh, with regard to Athena. There's, there was apparently a lot of shoddy paperwork back then, <laughs> the record keeping, you know, linear B or whatever was, was a, a little loose. So yeah. there are in times some wildly different stories over the years. In some tellings, Athena springs forth from Zeus's head and has no mother at all. She simply emerges having reproduced through what we now know as parthenogenesis. That, of course, from the Greek meaning virgin creation. Okay. That is an asexual form of procreating. Uh, we still do observe it today in certain worms and insects and amphibians and the like, but we're not accustomed to seeing it in, in the higher beings. Uh, so that's parthenogenesis. Um, in Athena's case, it was also probably the first time that parthenogenesis was done. So it is, in fact, the virgin creation of virgin creation. <laughs> so just that, let that blow your mind for a minute. So that's one version. In another version... Uh, Zeus has met up with Metis, who's a sea nymph from the Titan right. side of the family. Uh, they become husband and wife. Uh, her consent in, in the affair is, is a, a matter of some dispute, but for our purposes, right. we'll say they were they were a, a fully consensual couple. Um, and Zeus impregnates her. This is his first wife, 
Uh, now, she's known as wise counsel. She's considered the wisest among the gods and all the mortal men. So she's a real smart cookie. Zeus is, is quite drawn to her. At the same time, Zeus is establishing himself as the god of gods and right. doesn't really feel great about the competition. Uh, so we will recall from episode four, of course, Zeus's own father had a similar sense of threat, uh, so much so that he ate all of his children, right. except for Zeus, who was swapped out with a rock. Cronus vomited up all the siblings. Zeus saved the day. That set him up for his path to being the god of gods. But a fun fact, Metis, the sea nymph, was the one who gave Zeus the potion that made Cronus vomit up all his siblings. So maybe okay. that's where he was first drawn to. He's like, all right, this... She gave yeah, me the hookup. What's going on? I got. I have a certain affection here. So he's drawn to her. You know, Metis. He he's taken by her great wisdom. They get together, but once Zeus learns that she's pregnant, he starts to get a little skittish. He's afraid that the unborn sibling, or I'm sorry, the unborn offspring, will try to overthrow him. Right. Because of course, Gaia and Uranus, the original ancestral parents, Earth and Heaven, had yeah, prophesied Zeus that has some has some family trauma. Well, it, yeah, this is both sides of the family. So even Metis. They prophesied that she would bear children wiser than their father. So if you're Zeus, you've got it coming at both sides. He's got his own father's story about the jealousy of the baby eating. And then his wife has a similar on, prophecy on her side in place. So he's very threatened. He's backed into a corner. And they things go south. And as they often do with Zeus, he's got a trick up his sleeve. So he tricks Metis into becoming a fly and then proceeds to swallow her. And then by extension, of course, he also consumes their unborn daughter, Athena, and he kind of goes, you know, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. He's like, well, it was good enough for, for my old man. It's good enough for me. And just, you know, makes her a fly and eats her. <laughs> and he thinks, all right, no more threat. Problem solved. Uh, is there details on how he how he pulled that off? <laughs> it's, the, the details are vague, but he's he's okay. a cunning fellow and he found a way. Even though Metis was, of course, among the wisest of all creatures, but yet <laughs> so charming was Zeus that he talked her into turning into a fly and promptly consumed her. So... He thinks the problem is solved, but inside Zeus, Metis has another plan. So she begins crafting armor in there, begins crafting a spear, a shield for her daughter. And he raises Athena all within Zeus's mind. So he is, she's, he's in fact raising Athena to adulthood inside of Zeus's body. Now, after a while, Metis begins to fade. She eventually just sort of dissolves into pure thought within Zeus. But Athena sees the spear and the shield that her mother is made for, and starts banging it together. So like, I got to do something with this. I got to use it. And after a while, all that banging, Zeus begins to get a terrible headache. Yeah. And he's the worst well, he headache would. he's ever had. Yeah, anybody would, sure. So he asks somebody to help him out. And again, we're not clear who it is exactly. Some say Prometheus or Hephaestus. The records aren't clear. But right. whoever the friend is, Zeus makes an unconventional request for a headache treatment and says, how about you take a double-sided double axe and, and cleave open my head? to relieve me of this terrible headache. Take your labris and just let me have it. And I don't know about you, Andrew. I've had some pretty bad headaches in my day, but yeah. that is a remedy that never occurred to me. No. <laughs> it makes no. Me... Next time, maybe. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad we live in the age of, uh, of Advil. But it, it does occur to Zeus. And you know his friend follows through, gives an axe to the head, and outsprings Athena. And I hate to say it, but I mean... You know the expression, daddy issues. A lot of women can't get their fathers out of their own heads. Athena manages to work it in reverse and manages to <laughs> escape quite literally from his head. It's impressive. And it gives her eventually from Ovid's Metamorphosis the nickname Tritonia, which means triple born, because she was, in fact, born from her mother, from her mother and from her father and kind of, in a way, from herself. 
Um, so as I mentioned, fully formed, arrayed in all these arms, fitting for the great protector that she will become. And she makes a big impression. The gods are, are awestruck by her appearance. Even Helios, the god of the sun, stops his chariot in the sky to observe Athena. Wow. Uh, she is so impressive. Now, I'm sure he gets back to work, but for a, mo- for a moment, he, he yeah. takes a pause. So probably your first solar eclipse or your, at least some, some, some sort of solar event happened. It was, so, it was such a big event. Um, also, it's written by the poets later that she cries aloud with a mighty shout. The sky and Mother Earth shudder before her. So even the ancestral gods are recognizing that Athena is quite the force to be reckoned with. Now, that, of course, was, was the, the story of Zeus's first wife. We know he's going to take many more of them. Right. We know the last but not the least will be our champion, returning champion of jealousy, our, our good old friend Hera. She, in fact, is so upset later on by all of Zeus's shenanigans of having all these wives that she, as I think you mentioned in the in the maybe the second episode, gives birth to Vulcan, as you call them, or Hephaestus, right. on her own without anybody's input, including her husband's. So it's, it's sort of getting the ultimate revenge and saying, well, right. if you can make a baby by yourself, let me do that too. And that's why a lot of folks, as you mentioned early on, think Hephaestus was essentially born from his mother and nobody else. So really up in the Antian. There's there's rumors about both Mars and Hephaestus. So. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Which well, again, I mean, it was a time of very, very sloppy record keeping. So. Yeah, that hospital. <laughs> <laughs> I think the healthcare system in general has a lot to be desired. Right. Um, so as I mentioned, Athena always associated as the great protector of Athens, as the name would suggest, but it was not always the case. Like many great tales, of course, of the era, including no less than three in this very segment, it all began with a good old-fashioned competition, good old-fashioned contest. Okay. So in early days of Athens, there was a competition to decide who would be the protector of the city. So it was between her and Poseidon. Poseidon, right. of course, the mighty god of the sea, Zeus's brother and Hades' brother, and the whole rest of the, the gang that was swallowed by their dad. He's in their family. And they're going to go head-to-head to decide who's going to be the, the patron deity, Poseidon versus Athena. So the people agree in a very kind of pro-democracy way that each of the god contestants will give a gift to the people of Athens. And whichever gift the people like will win. And they'll have a vote, and that will become the protector. So Poseidon goes first, and he kind of does what he does best. He pulls out his trident, smashes it into the ground, and a spring flows up into Athens. Ah. I mean, cool trick, a nice visual, but it turns out the water from the spring, kind of salty, kind of murky, terribly useful. So (laughs) all spectacle. But not terribly, uh, not useful at all Ooh, for the people. Salt water, thanks. Yeah, I mean, and I, I feel like Poseidon, Poseidon kind of phones it in on this one. I mean, if he really, he's, you know, Greece has no shortage of water, and he thought, you know, he's he's sticking to his strengths, but that still feels right. like not the most useful thing. So Athena, on the other hand, who goes second, she is able to make an olive tree grow right then and there, which is wonderful if the people of Athens enjoy a good martini as I do. Yeah, um, but. Her gift is much more useful. Not only does it give the people food, but it also provides wood, provides oil. It's an early sign of Athena's wisdom, the sort of multi-use gift that keeps on giving. As we know now, the olive tree has become not just her symbol, but the most prized tree in Greece. So pretty good. Pretty, you know, highly more effective than the the salty spring of Poseidon. (laughs) So the people of Athens cast their votes. They choose Athena. And Poseidon, having lost the contest, of course, is furious. He's a terribly sore loser. Right. And he thinks to punish the people for voting him out, he will create a flood. You don't like my little salty spring? <laughs> I hope you guys can swim. 
Uh, and that's an inconvenience for a time, but the city yeah. survives. You know, they, they take higher ground and forever Athena becomes the namesake and the protector. Uh, now, I mentioned that pro-democracy, there is a fun little fact in here. So women's suffrage actually plays a part in the story. Okay. So back in those days, early days of democracy, women could vote. And all the women voted for the goddess, for Athena, and all the men, of course, voted for the god. Uh -huh. um, but there was one more woman in town than there were men. <laughs> so Athena prevailed, uh, which, you know, on its own is a very nice story and, and sets you up for, for Athena becoming, having this reputation of being a champion of women rulers. Um, but of course, men being men, um, after the election, the men are so upset at the outcome, they just take the vote away from women for every election uh, after that. Yeah. They and, wanted that salty spring. That's it. <laughs> they, they got their olives and they enjoyed them. They just didn't enjoy any more women's suffrage after that moment. So, yeah. but because rules are rules, the election is the election and Athena yeah. still wins. And that's no why take backs have, even there. Not even there. Nope. Now, you often hear there's an epithet that Athena has, the palace. So you hear it called Palace Athena, P-A-L-L-A-S. Yep. Uh, again, different stories as to where it comes from. Terrible record keeping. One account is the palace is the name of Athena's best friend in childhood. So she's, you know, the daughter of the sea god Triton. They're having an otherwise friendly little sparring match in the backyard. And Athena actually accidentally kills her. Mm -hmm. So she is so stricken by grief at this accident. Uh, that she takes the name on herself as, as, a, as a symbol of that grief. So Pallas Athena, she kind of subsumes that name into her own. So it's kind of a touching story, sad. Yeah. Uh, another very different account, Pallas, is, is in this one, a giant. Uh, Athena defeats this giant in the, 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 the war against the giants that you mentioned earlier right. uh, as part of finishing the job after the Titanomachy. And of course, she flays off the giant's skin to make a cloak to wear as a symbol of that victory, as as one as, does. As one does, yeah. Yes. Sure. So a great example of how stories can differ. She was either she, like a childhood friend that... She's not know, a goddess of fashion. <laughs> no. no, although maybe accessorizing, as you'll hear in a minute. <laughs> <Maybe>. Okay. <laughs> uh, so yeah, either, you know, the records have her accidentally killing her friend while they're roughhousing, or maybe it's the giant that she wears as a coat. Could be either one. <laughs> Uh, the most commonly held version is the childhood friend. So we'll stick to that one. And, and, you know, as part of her grieving process, Athena carves a statue of her friend's image uh, from palace, the original palace, calls it the Palladium, puts it in the city of Troy as Troy is being founded. And that statue becomes to have special properties. It becomes a, a talisman for the city of Troy. And as long as it's in the city, Troy can never fall. Well, you know, eventually <laughs> that, that can't last forever. Yeah. Uh, so the Trojan War comes around, of course, when the Greeks do finally capture Troy, our old friend Cassandra, goes to the to the Palladium, grasps onto it for protection. Uh, but in comes Ajax, the lesser. He tears her away from the statue with the intent to steal it. He manages to assault her while he's at it because he is a terrible human being. And it will become a favorite scene in Greek art, but he makes off with the Palladium. Now, Athena is so upset by this because it brings her back to her grief over her friend. She strikes back, creates a storm at Cape Caferos with the help of Poseidon. So her old friend of me from the contest says, you know what? Right. One thing I'm good at, making floods. Let me help you out. <laughs> the two of them team up. Doesn't need, he doesn't really need much of a reason. No, he's like, she doesn't even have to trade them olives. She's like, you know what? <laughs> that thing before, bring it back. It worked out okay. So she destroys almost the entire Greek fleet, scatters all their, their surviving ships across the Aegean Sea, a sign of her, of her temper, which we'll talk even more about. Yeah, so she's like, you can sack Troy if you want, but if you mess with the statue that I made of my friend, you know, you and your Navy are done for. Now, of course, during the flood, Ajax the Lesser, who was the aggressor in this case, he ends up surviving for a time. He's clutching onto a rock, 
during for dear life during the flood. But he makes the big mistake of, of yelling out loud that he's the only one that the sea can't possibly drown. <laughs> well, you know, Poseidon does, is not going to appreciate that level of arrogance. And so yeah. he just chips off just a little bit of that rock. And of course, Ajax the Lesser immediately drowns. Yet another lesson that hubris just doesn't right. pay, never no. works. So Athena is the warrior maiden. She's also known as Parthenos. You know, you heard that from the Parthenon, which means virgin. Um, Interesting. This was also a nickname I received in high school. I didn't understand his origins until this week, but now I get it. Well done, guys. Yeah. Sick, uh, sick burn. Real, real good. But Athena, in her case, it was by choice. And, and like her fellow goddesses, Artemis and Hestia, she was believed to remain in this vow of being a virgin as part of, of her dedication to her craft. So it's where the Parthenon gets its name, also where Parthenogenesis gets his name, which is the scientific term I mentioned earlier for yeah. virgin creation that I'm sure when this podcast is released, we'll be setting Google records of search terminology, people dying to know. Um, but Athena takes that vow of virginity very seriously for her whole life and good honor for that. I respect it. But keeping that vow does end up uh, involving a close call or two. So we turn to a darker chapter with Hephaestus uh, and I will do my best to keep this family friendly. He is, you know, he's having, trying to, to make advances with Athena. He doesn't, doesn't think much of her vow of, of virginity. He's trying to have his way with her. He's making advances. She's not appreciating. She's not having it. Uh, and as she pushes Hephaestus away, let's just say he, he, he leaves behind uh, a bit of a mess. He, he leaves his, he leaves some DNA at the scene of the crime. We'll put it, put it that way. Um, makes yeah. a mess. Athena doesn't appreciate that. She gets away, but he does, he does make a mess. So Athena, cleans up the mess with a tuft of wool and throws it in the dust. But because it makes contact with the earth, somehow the mess impregnates Gaia, the mother earth goddess, and results in the birth of a young man named Erichthonius. Again, odd circumstances of birth, but right. that's what happens when you combine some of these elements. So because Athena is a class act, she adopts Erichthonius despite the unfortunate circumstances of his conception. And she raises him to be a great ruler in his own right. So pretty cool move on her part, even though she yeah. remains this committed, you know, virginal warrior, she still has this stint as a single mother. And I would say, considering the circumstances, that scores some serious points for that. That's, yeah. that's very well done. Uh, Hephaestus does not look good in that story, but Athena yeah. looks very good. So as I mentioned, Athena does make appearances all over the mythological world. She's going to, you know, she, she is of such wisdom. She's going to advise Jason and the Argonauts on how to build their ship. Um, the classic story that I'm sure we all know, I think it's come up briefly before in this program, but Athena teams up with Hermes to help the hero Perseus kill the Gorgon Medusa. And we've all seen that image, of course, of Perseus holding the severed head of the vile Medusa with her serpentine hair and how Athena, you know, how they teamed up. Athena gave him the polished bronze shield so she could use it as kind of a mirror, you know, because if you look directly at her, you'll turn to stone. So he's able to look at her reflection. Hermes gives him a scythe. Athena guides it to lop Medusa's head off. Great story. The, the vile creature is killed. Everybody's happy. Um, what I didn't know until recently, there is an earlier chapter to this story um, that darkens it a bit. So it turns out Athena was the one who turned Medusa into a Gorgon in the first place. So Medusa, early in life, origin story, okay. is just a young, simple young priestess working in Athena's temple. So kind of an employee, maybe an intern, um, also having taken a vow of chastity. And she's doing her work in the in the temple. Um, and old her old Athena's old friend of me, old nemesis, Poseidon, 
is breaking into the temple, attempts to have his way with Medusa, by refu- you know, doesn't take her, her vow of chastity seriously. So Poseidon is making his advances. Athena gets in the way, intervenes, calls, calls it quits. But she's so upset that this happened in her temple that that's why she transforms Medusa into this hideous monster, into this Gorgon. So essentially blaming the victim um, for uh, yeah. the fact that it happened in not her cool. house. Uh, right. So not a great look there. There's, again, a mixed, mixed bag when it comes to character for this one. Right. So yes, Athena does have that moment of glory where she helps Perseus kill the Gorgon Medusa, but she ended up kind of creating that circumstance in the beginning, which was news to me. Yeah. Uh, so I mentioned the uh, accessorizing. So there's a shield that is, Athena is known for, often pictured with it, called the Aegis. Uh, it was used by her mostly, but also occasionally by Zeus. And it's this animal skin that contains often the very head of the Gorgon Medusa. She's got the head. She kept it and she made it as part <laughs> of her shield. Um, and it's a pretty, it's an impressive. Uh, so when we, that's how we get this expression of being under somebody's Aegis, doing something of the, under the protection of somebody powerful, uh, but a very scary weapon. In the Iliad, it's described this way. It produced a sound as from a myriad roaring dragons and was born by Athena in battle holding the precious Aegis, which is ageless and immortal. A hundred tassels of pure gold hang, fluttering from it, tight woven each of them, and each the worth of a hundred oxen. Virgil's description, a fearsome thing with a surface of gold like scaly snakeskin, and the linked serpents and the Gorgon herself upon the goddess's breast, a severed head rolling its eyes. So she's got this really scary sword, shield made of gold, it makes scary sounds. It's got a Gorgon head in it. You can see why Athena does really well in battle. Right. She also helps Hercules in many of his labors, as you alluded to earlier, helps guide Odysseus. I don't go that, I'm not going to go deep into the Odyssey part of it. I knew that would come up in your section and there's plenty more to cover here. We'll likely get to that down the road. Um, But, you know, like any great warrior, she has the sense of wrath. We saw that a little bit with the flood. There was another instance where in our second competition, uh, there was a mortal named Arachne who dared to challenge Athena to a weaving contest. Now, I wouldn't have seen that coming. You wouldn't think somebody this intimidating and say, well, sure, you're tough and you got this crazy yeah. shield, but you know, can you weave? Uh, but in you fact, have hobbies. <laughs> you gotta have hobbies. Well, yeah. she's got them. And of course, Athena being a goddess wins, right. but also tra- you know, punishes that act of hubris by transforming Arachne into a spider, which is, makes sense. She is not only a spider, but the first spider explains how we get the name Arachnid and where we get the underrated film Arachnophobia, <laughs> both related to that. Yeah. Um, there's also a situation of Merapis, who's a princess from the Greek island of Kos, who makes fun of Athena for having gray eyes. So Athena naturally turns her into an owl, as, <laughs> as one does, which also becomes one of her own symbols. Yes. Uh, and then in the Trojan War, there's a fellow named Laocoon who's about to spill the beans on the Trojan horse. But before he can, Athena strikes him blind and then adding insult to injury, summons two serpents from the sea to kill the man's sons. Okay. Now, on the plus side, he'd already been blinded, so at least he didn't have to see it. But it was still <laughs> definitely upping the ante. The punishment did not fit the crime. There's a very, very famous statue of that. I believe that's true. Yeah, that, that is right. correct. Yep. Which I, there you go. So we've hit the first two competitions. The third, probably the most significant one, of course, we've talked about it briefly a couple times, the Judgment of Paris. Yes. You know, Zeus is throwing in the marriage banquet for King Peleus and the sea, sea nymph Thetis, who's going to become, who will become eventually the parents of Achilles. Um, Eris, the goddess of discord, is not invited to the wedding for obvious reasons. She is, after all, the <laughs> goddess of discord. Yeah. Um, but she's feeling slighted and she is determined to make trouble 
to revenge that slight. And boy, does she. <laughs> she shows up anyway. So perhaps one of history's first wedding crashers uh, with her golden apple containing the description to the fairest of them all. Well, we all know the, the basics of the story. Of course, three goddesses lay claim. You've got Hera, who was the most jealous of Zeus's wives. You've got Aphrodite, who you mentioned earlier, the goddess of love and beauty, and our very own Athena, all vying to be, to be recognized as the greatest, the fairest of them all, right. and win the golden apple. Now, Zeus doesn't feel like making this decision. You know, you alluded to it earlier, uh, I think in episode one regarding Mars. So he, get, he kind of outsources the decision to a young man named Paris, who is the, the Trojan mortal. Uh, he's, a, he's a prince. He's the heir to King Priam. The king has him off doing some shepherd work because, in fact, King Priam, <laughs> in a side story, has been told in the prophecy that one day his son will ruin the city. Right. So these, again, fathers, offspring, prophecies. So he's got him off doing, doing some, some shepherd work. But Zeus thinks he's, he's a good judge of character. So he outsources the decision, yeah. to, the decision to him. Um, all three candidates go to Mount Ida, strip down, have a nice bath, and young Paris uh, inspects them. But before long, I mean, they're all lovely, but before long, it comes straight to the bribery part of the right. competition where each contestant just <laughs> bribery round. Yeah, finds a way to pay off the judge. So Harris starts and she says, if I get the golden apple, I will make you king of Europe and Asia, which I mean, that's a lot to give up for a yeah. decorative apple. So like the stakes are high. The ego on these people are incredible. Uh, Athena steps up, as you might expect, and offers him wisdom and skill in war. I will make it so you can defeat your enemies. The Greeks in battle, lay it in ruins. And Paris is okay. Yeah, Sounds pretty good. like Paris's style. No, but it's especially when Aphrodite appears because uh, she brings out the big guns. She offers Paris the world's most beautiful woman, who at the time is Helen of Sparta. Now, of course, she happens to be married to the Greek kin Menelaus, but then again, everybody really wanted the apple, so... <laughs> they were bringing out whatever they could. So you're right. Pa Paris is, is, is taken by that third offer. Aphrodite wins. Uh, Paris gives her the golden apple. And of course, Athena and Harris, Hera are both furious at having lost. Um, now, the longer arc of the story, it is, of course, you know, once Helen is taken away, it is the Greeks' attempt to get her back that ends up sparking the entirety of the Trojan War. So this simple right. little contest messes everything up. Uh, Athena will eventually join the Greeks in the battle against the Trojans of Paris. That's a key event in the turning point of the war. Yep. Um, but this one simple, simple little competition leads to all this, this chaos all, all right. over the land. And, and indirectly to this podcast. So I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that. That's true. So, so she meant to cause some trouble and she certainly has in, <laughs> in many ways over many years. Yes. So I think we can agree, you know, Athena is a great warrior, great protector, you know, she's able to stay motivated, keep doing her job, even among the men around her behaving terribly. Yeah. Um, as I said, she's got some aspects of her are kind of a mixed bag. She had the temper. But again, that's what happens when you're wielding the kind of hubris around a goddess that, that one would. Um, I do believe she gave Medusa a raw deal. So I've got a new sympathy for her now. Um, sure. And, you know, in the end, speaking of mixed bags, Athena introduced the, the olive. You know, it's great for martini lovers like me. Uh, but she also invented the spider. And I'm not a fan mm -hmm. of those. So. <laughs> A little bit of this, a little bit of that. Uh, so a mixed bag, but certainly a formidable figure um, and a worthy con com competitor for, for the Golden God in our competition certainly. in this episode. There you have it. Very well done. Excellent. Thank you. A lot to cover. Yeah. You know, she's a helper in a lot of ways. It would be exhaustive to go through all the stories, but those are the high points. Those are the all kinds right. of myths that have, that have risen above. And uh, yeah, and, and, and a pretty good cast of characters in that one too. For sure. For sure. Awesome. Well, then let's uh, let's take our, our, take our break. break and we will wrap up with the final segment, our 
five categories. Back in a moment. Yep. And we are back for our rounds. And the first round, as we said, is Immortal Combat. Mm. And this round, we decide who would win in a physical confrontation uh, between the two uh, deities. So uh, I'll go first mm. with uh, Helios. Um, you know, some good and bad. In the war with the giants, he does kill a giant. Yes. Uh, named Piculus, uh, when the giant fled from the battle um, and was attempted to ta- to attack uh, Helios's daughter Circe, uh, Helios uses his shield to protect Circe from the sp- spraying blood of the giant, uh, which turns into a black-rooted herb. So. Um, <laughs> There's a lot of things turning into things. Yeah, death and agriculture are very, very closely (laughs) entwined in those stories. (laughs) It is. Um, But uh, he kept the blood offer with his shield. Um, One thing to consider um, is, and this is this one that's the big one, is kind of can Helios use his sort of proverbial nuclear option? We saw in the Phaethon story, you know, what can happen with, uh, with him getting... Uh, too close, going full sun mode, right? Uh, so to speak, uh, using his helmet sunniness, uh, starting forest fires, burning things. So yeah, uh, that's certainly a, a power to consider. Um, he can throw the world into darkness as a battle tactic, which he does mm-hmm. in a couple of uh, different battles. Uh, one is where his sister uh, Celine and Helios, or I'm sorry, and Eos. Um, some giants were looking for uh, an herb of invulnerability. Mm. And so uh, on Zeus's request, they throw the world into darkness so that the giants can't find it. <laughs> um, and then he has the ability to blind people as okay. a god of sight. Now, sure. I don't, I don't know that that applies to, to gods, mm. uh, but he, he does uh, blind a prophet in... Uh, one of the stories, uh, which Prophet may or may not have had coming, depending on which which version you believe. Sure. Um, but you know, ultimately, he's he's usually kind of an accessory in the battle. He mm. he does some swooping down uh, and grabbing people. You know, he 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 does have the chariot and can go pretty fast there. Right. Uh, but he does some rescuing people. He strategically turns the lights on and off. Mm-hmm. Um, but so so it's kind of kind of interesting there. Um, you know, I think the one thing we'll have to really consider is, is that full full sun mode. You know, I feel like he doesn't use it because it's just maybe too powerful. Yeah, it's it's, it's, a, it's not a precision well, instrument. Not only that, but I, I think it, it does become a, an ongoing question if there's there's the power a god could have, and then there's the willingness of the god to use that power That's and when. True. Yeah, and I yeah. think the fact that that those powers were available and he never did use them, maybe that was just a symptom of, of his his mild mannered demeanor. Um, yeah. yeah, interesting. Well, in terms of Athena, I mean, obviously in battle mode, fierce, legendary, you know, really good on yeah. the battlefield. I mean, and she could do it all. She could sink entire navies um, with a little help. She could slay a giant, so slay a giant in that same war herself. Yeah. Um, she could even knock knock off her own school buddy in a game of grab ass accidentally. <laughs> Whatever the killing was, she could, yeah. she could do it. Did, did no um, strength. 
but back to the question of, of, of why you would use your powers. I mean, it's interesting because she only believed in war for just cause, only as a means to resolve conflict. So you mentioned, I think, in the first episode with, with Mars, Ares, in, in, in the Greek world, the god of war, um, he was all about the bloodlust and the slaughter yeah. of war, whereas Athena was from the other side. She was all about the sort of strategy, the tactics, making sure that it had the aim um, of resolving conflict, which explains the thing you mentioned back then, um, why the Greeks liked her so much better. <laughs> because <laughs> he was really just out there with a lust for blood and she was trying to get something done. So um, certainly formidable skill uh, and the willingness to, that's, that's where I guess it becomes a conundrum because right. she's killed for less. Um, but at the same time, if she's only going to use her, her war talents for a just cause, you know, is a orchestrated fight by a podcast a just cause? I, I don't know. That's, a, that's an open question. Yeah, this is, is a, sort of a, a MMA podcast style. Um, <laughs> I suppose the higher order interest right. of saving the world is, is the, as where those stakes are. So she would. Yeah, the, there's some stakes. Just cause. Yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, this is. Uh, I sometimes think of this, this can be thought of as, as a sparring match. It's certainly not, a, there's no implication that the other god has been killed in any way. I suppose it is literally right. called Immortal Combat. So yes, yeah. it's right there in the title. That is true. It's, it's, it's you know, uh, so you know, I, I, think, I think it's hard for me to, to vote against, uh, given her ability to strategize, yes. assuming she's, she's committed to the fight, she's got the Aegis out. Yeah. Uh, um, I, I, you know, even though, in one sense, you know, Helios has that that uh, sort of nuclear sun option. It, it seems like he'd be reluctant to to use it, and it's kind of an all or, seems like an all or nothing thing. Like yeah. he, he can't just just a little bit. That's not for a sparring match. No, that's true. No. That's no no half measures in that one. Yeah, yeah. yeah it, I think I agree yeah. with you. So it sounds like Athena from you. Yeah. 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 So I, I, I vote the same way. I think, yeah, uh, and, and you'll notice that a lot of times, like in the the Odyssey, uh, it, he he brings in um, Zeus to to kind of do his his work because Zeus can yeah. can do it in a way that is uh, a, a little more precision. And, and, that's and right. I think that's 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 the issue there. Yeah, so. and may right, also so get... speak to his his lack of willingness to just uh, to do the deed. You know, maybe he's right. more of a, a lover, not a fighter, if you like. Yeah, it always looks on the sunny side. So, <laughs> <laughs> sorry about that. Uh, and now that brings <laughs> brings us to uh, Reculum Deity, and this yes. one is the it factor involving who would you rather be, yes. uh, who would you rather worship. So I'll let you uh, start this one off. Yeah. So as far, as far as who I'd rather be, um, I would not care to be trapped in the head of my father. I, I will say that. I'll put that on the record. I safely could say he would agree. He would not like that either. So that part is unappealing from the start. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the, the vow of virginity, you know, again, good honor, more power to you. It's great for some, uh, not for, not for everybody. All due respect. Yeah. I, don't, I don't think that's for me. Um, I am also glad that I did not accidentally kill any of my friends in my youth. Um, and actually, yeah. kind of think about it, Andrew. You should be glad as well because it, it could have been you. So. <laughs> it could have been me. <laughs> yeah. What, what if uh, it's you? I don't, what if it's you? Uh, so I don't. I don't envy that. Um, you know, at the same time, she did have a great deal of worship for her. She had a lot of glory on the battlefield, but even there, freely would switch sides uh, when when the cause came around. So um, not a great, not a great 
person to be. Also, you know, lived her life obviously with, without without partnership. Uh, had that's had great gesture as a single mom, but um, very solitary existence. Um, yeah. A lot of friends, a lot of helpers. So yeah. not not as appealing to be. To follow a stronger case. So obviously was very well, heavily worshipped all over, particularly in Athens. Um, did have many of the best temples. I mean, the Parthenon, the Acropolis is certainly yeah. the crown jewel there, but lots of really, really strong uh, temples. And, and of course, the best festival, the Pan Athenia was, you know, every four years it had, it was sort of the, uh, it was Olympics level, perhaps even more important at the time okay. um, with sporting events and, and rituals with bathing statues, all kinds of fun stuff. So it was, you know, you had, you had the, the sort of triple threat of, you know, lots of people to worship with, good places to do it. Uh, and a great series of festivals to to celebrate your deity. So, um, yeah, kind of a mixed bag here. B, not so much. Follow, for that time, pretty appealing. Yeah. Hey, that that is an interesting one. That's uh, that's going to be interesting because uh, so um, Helios was uh, you know one of those permanently handsome, youthful, hmm. uh, sort of Apollo esque yes uh, uh, gods, um, and he had the Sun Palace, which is. Which is pretty sweet. Sounded um, pretty baller. Yep. Yeah, had had a little bit of an entourage, mm-hmm. uh, which seemed all right. Yeah, uh, seemed seemed like a, a decent entourage again. It, uh, you know, I, I was going back to the ones that had uh, with uh, fear and discord and anger, yeah. and so I'm like, yeah, that this one's better, definitely, um, and, and brighter. Yes, and, and much <laughs> much brighter. Um, he had some loves. Uh, he had Perseus, uh, Rhodes. Uh, Clymene, who who who's Phaeton's uh, uh, mother, and he, he sees the world yeah. every day. I would <laughs> say so. He sees the entire entire world, um, you know. Uh, but he also has some some real tragedy. Uh, sure. In, in that life, uh, with uh, the son Phaeton and and Lucothe, mm-hmm. uh, which are you know upsetting tra- tragedies. Uh, the sun thing, you know, the chariot ride through the sky, it's it's a bit of a grind. Yeah, you know? and then you don't it's, get a day off unless you know no. it's the day after your son dies. So it's a yeah, that's a, that's no, a tough no. gig. You, you don't you don't really really get any days off. So, um, you know, long hours. Uh, he's used in one case as the example of you know of the gods doing work, gods toiling. Yeah. So, yep. uh, so there's that, um, and not not a not a small commute on the way back to work every day either. No, no, the uh, boat yeah. or the you know the the aerobed. It's still it's a lot of hours. Yeah, um, you know he's yes. So he seems to have had time to do other things, uh, mm-hmm. but yeah, that that, that one definitely uh, on worship, um, perhaps appropriately for Helios, uh, his worship was very up and down. Mm. Uh, his origins were. Uh, ancient and uh, you know go back to the first Indo-Europeans but in ancient Greece it was kind of regional as we as we discussed and Athens was probably one of the centers where he was least uh, least worshipped but he did have a couple festivals that he he was honored at Um, typically when in Athens when he was uh, worshipped he was offering of honey and cakes um but no wine because uh a god with his cosmic responsibilities yeah. shouldn't be drunk yeah and so, definitely shouldn't be driving yeah no no so so ahead of their time there with uh standing against uh wow. drunk chariot driving yeah um but 
you know, we all, we mentioned Rhodes before, mm-hmm. and that was the, the center where he was really uh, worshipped. Uh, but a couple details to add: uh, there was an annual summer fest there uh, in honor of Helios. I, I believe it was around, um, you know, in the height height of summer, and it included sports competitions, uh, gymnastics, of course, chariot racing. Uh, naturally, yeah, it's yeah, a, it was a big part of it. Yep. Um, and on sacrifice, uh, they were drive a four horse chariot off a cliff into the sea. Whoa! <laughs> Reenacting uh, the Phaethon myth. Did somebody so, have to sit in there, or did they just, just I, only I, the I, horses did it? That... I, I, you know, the, the first crash test dummy <laughs> was invented. Uh, yeah, they only mentioned the horses. It was not a person. Okay, anybody. that's still that's pretty spectacular. That is, a, yeah, that's, that's quite an image. Yeah, it's quite an image. Uh, um, yeah, so so that that's that's him. So this is an interesting one for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they both have good and bad things in terms of of being. Yes. Uh, you know, he's like I said, that's that's quite a job he's got, and like I said, there's no days off. A lot of responsibility. Yep. Yeah. Uh, you know, I don't. I don't mind a road trip. I don't mind uh, going on the car. You know, it's uh, no traffic up there. So that's yeah, good. that's true. I don't. I don't know. What do you think? I think. I mean, I may have to give Helios the edge on this one, only because, as impressive as Athena's later re- uh, reputation has been, um, she's just she's a very solitary figure. She's very you know yeah. she has really no partnership, no love. You know, is is constantly amid turmoil right. and, and violence and yeah i think uh you know in in contrast to seeing the world despite the tragedy that that befell helios i think uh, i think he would get my vote and those festivals seem pretty cool too yeah for, I mean, for the no wine thing but i could i could work my way around that yeah what well, that, that, that's the athens one. i i, I could definitely get the feeling that the summer fest in Rhodes was mm. uh what was was featuring someone maybe not being offered to helios uh, but for, for the honorees who were going to watch the the horses drive off the cliff, yeah, I'm sure um, they had some sort of uh, you know servants or slaves who could do some sort of Uber for chariots kind of situation to get you home. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with you, even though it's a it's a tight one. Um, that the image of the horses driving off the cliff are a little bit of a downer, but yeah. it's <laughs> it's. Uh, um, Otherwise, the Summerfest seems pretty good, and, yeah. and uh, his, his life is uh, getting ups and downs. But yeah, I think I think I'll go with that. So all right, now we are tied up, uh, one one. So uh, all right, and we go point. on from there to Good God, and I will take this one first. Good God is pretty self-explanatory. <laughs> it is. Right. Uh, the character. So the good on, on Helios is um, providing extremely important service, uh, not just, you know, light and heat, but sustaining life. Yeah, so that's, <laughs> big time. That's, that's big Nothing one. small. You know, um, he has a strong sense of duty, obviously, getting up yeah. every morning, crack of dawn. Yeah. Um, seems to have some care for his his children he he mourns when when phaethon uh dies uh right. he rescues aetes and circes rescues hephaestus um you know willing to lend out his bull boat uh yeah. 
<laughs> even to someone who's just assaulted him with a yeah. deadly weapon. Um, as I said, he's the god of oaths. Um, you know, on on the downside, I don't you know, judgment maybe in, in making that oath to Phaethon a little bit lacking. <laughs> I think he would agree he, with you. Yes. Yeah, he did, did not <laughs> did not did not think that one through no. uh very very carefully. Um his retribution for for taking his cows seems a little extreme. A little bit. Even though he, he you know he didn't directly do it, but he did ask Zeus. Uh, he, to, he asked for the hit. Yeah, he, he yeah. directed <laughs> he, it. He, he's certainly culpable in, in that. So, um, they while they were warned, it was you know in out of proportion, uh, perhaps. Yes, I'm so, sure there was that. There was very visible signage not to do it, but <laughs> yeah, they did it anyway. Yeah, they did. They did. So, uh, all right, that's. Okay. That's so it. yeah, on the Athena side, I mean, like I said, a mixed bag, you know, on the character and her commitment to, to remaining, you know, in, in her kind of virginal status is very impressive. Raising her son born from, you know, a carpet stain, also very impressive. Well done there. Um, at the same time, you know, treated Medusa pretty rough. I thought yeah. she ended up, you know, also switching sides of the Trojan war. You can say what you want about that, but maybe she had her reasons. Um, I think ultimately she did her, if, if her main job was to be a protector, and let's face it, you know, as I mentioned before, the, the fact that the Parthenon of the Acropolis is there today suggests she was very good at that. And so there's a, right. there's a commitment to craft there that I think is pretty impressive. Yeah. Um, so, you know, mixed bag all, all the way around. I think she did she a very long service record of, of helping others, um, you know, of, of, of for, for, for certain good and, and less good deeds was always right. there to lend a hand. Um, so, yeah, I would, I would put her as a sort of in the middle character rating. Not great, right. but not not terribly bad either. Right. Interesting. Yeah. So I don't know. I think uh, I might go Helios on this one. You know, I think I'm still I'm even though Athena still had a lot of reasons for her behaviors. I, there is there's just too much darkness on her side of the ledger um, right. compared to to uh, her her competitor here. She, yeah, yeah. We we tend to not not be big fans of the wrath. Uh, no, here. I mean it, it makes for great stories, but yeah. uh, but it but. does not score you well in the character department. No, it, no, it doesn't. Uh, you know, if we if we're talking about bringing somebody back, uh, wrath's not. You know, we probably have enough of that uh, in the current yeah, day. Yeah, that is not in short supply. In the interest of saving, uh, saving our current times, you're you're right about yeah. that. So I think I, I think I'm going to agree with you. Uh, yeah. I I think uh, I think we're pulling off two to one to Helios. Okay. So a Very little good. bit of the uh, underdog is is pulling ahead. So pulls ahead. Uh, here we go, and uh, that brings us to. Oops. Um, iconography. Yes. All right. And uh... yeah, I'll start with this one. So yeah, well, the better question. legacy, you know, this is where I think Athena really shines. And it's because, because of her kind of reputational growth later in life. So she's, you know, she's very regard, well regarded in her time, right? She's on a lot of classical art. She's on coins, statues, ceramics. Um, all the stories I just mentioned are very well documented in paintings and her name, you know, today it shows up in a lot of the places you'd expect, you know, it's a name of, you know, Athena is, is a name for a rocket ship, many sailing vessels, right. Canadian military operations, Japanese erotica studios, all, all the classics have Athena's name attached to them. But I think right. it's the symbolic legacy that really stands out. So the, you know, the first few centuries at AD, the early Christian writers really go down. They, they, they do not treat her well. They decry her as immoral. She's part of our shame, shameful pagan past. 
But then the Middle Ages roll around and they start linking her. They, somebody occurs to them like she's actually a lot like our Virgin Mary. She's kind of this warrior maiden and they do not give that 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 praise out lightly. Yeah, so there no, becomes that's... this this connection, yeah, with, with a huge figure in Christianity. So that starts to you know, give her reputation a big boost. Um, by the time the Renaissance comes around, she is donning the mantle of being the patron of the arts and human endeavor. Of course, the, in the, the Renaissance, the Italian painters love her. She's in all sorts of great works. Um, and then you roll around to the 16th and 17th centuries, she becomes the symbol, as I mentioned earlier, for female rulers. So she becomes symbolic of Queen Elizabeth I of England. She becomes attached to Catherine II of Russia. So some real heavy hitters um, of these, these female leaders. Right. Even up to the French Revolution, you know, when they're tearing the statues of pagan gods down all throughout France, the ones of Athena stay up because she okay. is the personification of freedom and the Republic. So much so that she becomes, you know, she inspires two great symbols of the democratic freedom as we know it. Of course, Britannia, the helmeted female warrior who is the personification of Great Britain. Okay. And a little somebody you mentioned in the, the first half of the show, our very own Statue of Liberty is also heavily inspired by Athena. So, um, you know, as a, as a, as a vessel of great ideas, uh, her reputation is very, very strong. And as I alluded to earlier, she also appears, uh, lastly, but not leastly on, on the, the great seal of California. So to this very day, okay. she is, she's there, she's kneeling with her ages. She's got this sort of motley crew around her, some ships, got some gold, gold miners over here. There's like a little grizzly bear. That's like the size of a house cat. <laughs> Why California, do you ask? Do you, do you know yeah. the reason why Athena is on the seal of California? I, I had no idea. That. So it's because, as we remember, Athena was born as an adult. Yeah. And California was never a territory. Okay. So the state thinks of itself as having emerged fully grown and didn't have to go through, you know, the, the, the right. childbirth and, and upbringing that one of the colonies would, which I would not have guessed that. Um, no. So there's also a lot of crazy stories That's about the seal esoteric. of It is. <laughs> But it's a fascinating symbol. Yeah. Uh, there's a ton of great stories about the seal of the great state of California. We're, we'll save that for our follow-up podcast, Seal versus Seal, and all 25 of its episodes uh, coming later this fall. But yeah, so so I'd say in, in summary, um, certainly a long-lasting legacy and certainly yeah. a multivaried one. But uh, but she stands for a lot of really great things. Excellent. All right. So uh, iconography. Uh, for Helios, it was an interesting one to uh, interpret. At times, um, kind of hard to separate, you know, the star from yes. uh, from Helios, and you know, how much credit does he really get for the sun? Especially because the description of the sun in his myths is less than completely accurate to our understanding uh, today. <laughs> yes. um, but. Uh, so, you know, Sunday uh, does derive from... Oh, day of the week, yeah. From from him. Um, though I believe in, uh, if I'm not mistaken, in, in Romance languages, it is no longer hmm. uh, goes by that. Um, so Helios is, there's a, Helios 300 is a gaming laptop from Acer. Mm. So that's okay. nice. Then uh, Helios... Uh, also stands for high energy lasers with integrated dazzler and optical surveillance. Wow. The Helios system is a deep magazine, low cost per kill, speed of light uh, delivery for precision response enabled fleet needs. 
Its mature, scalable architecture supports increased laser power levels for so additional wait, threats in the future. So this is a, an actual, actual this system. Yes, this is an actual weapon system of the U.S. Navy. Uh, th there's a lot to unpack in that. We can have a whole <laughs> show on that. I mean, not, yeah, not only a very labored uh, acronym at the beginning, but was it low cost per kill? Was that what you yes, said? Yes, low cost per kill. <laughs> that is a... advertised as such. This is how it's advertised by, and I, 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 I've forgotten the uh, defense contractor, but it's one of the big ones. It's like wow. uh, it, it, Raytheon and, or one of those guys. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, is, is advertised that is high energy lasers with integrated dazzler. In optical surveillance, low cost per kill. But, you know, I um, makes me just a little bit less likely to mess with the U.S. Navy. having Absolutely. Because uh, not only are they going to get you, but they're going to get you pretty cheaply. <laughs> yeah. So on a per annum basis. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, they're not, not going to be worried about it. Um, <laughs> then there is the Helios Ice Fishing Auger. Oh. Which is a really, really Helios Ice Fishing. This is, that's an uh, unusual uh, counterintuitive branding there, I would say. Yeah, definitely. Um, Unless it so, heats the ice in, to, into, in which to, to there's a mechanism uh, for boring perhaps. down. Yeah, yeah. friction. Um, so there's an HBO show that's on currently in the second season uh, called Raised by Wolves. Are you familiar with this show? I am familiar with it. I have not watched it. Have you seen it? Uh, I, I have seen it. And it's, it's, it's a very strange show. Yeah. Uh, but it involves a war uh, between atheists and the followers of soul okay uh so uh or mithraic uh which is a derivation of people who but they, they pray to soul mm -hmm. so that's going on now it's kind of interesting um uh, then there is mission helios which is a decentralized space community where blockchain meets space oh I don't know what that, but that's, that's a that's quite a log line. I'm not yeah, sure how that yeah, would work. And I, I, I don't know what that is either. Uh, but you know, in terms of um, more you know weighty sort of things, uh, Helios kind of goes into eclipse, uh, if you will, during the Renaissance at the time that mm. when when Athena is rising uh, during the Renaissance and Baroque period. Uh, there's always sort of a little bit of a association between helios and uh apollo yes i remember and, this from the apollo episode that's right yes and it, it didn't and, happen until many centuries later yeah so, so there was a little bit of it in the um in the greek world but but they're mostly separate but at this time really they just sort of give make help uh, apollo the sun god during yes. this time and so many of the art things you'll see uh from the renaissance and, and afterwards uh depict apollo on a chariot uh with his lyre which is very odd because anything you read about apollo like, doesn't seem like he had time for this no he, he was busy with a lot of other stuff he, yeah, he, he just yeah doesn't seem like he was spending his whole day uh riding that through you know no uh, for sure but but he definitely um i think diminished his his legacy interesting uh for for centuries um there's one more thing to mention, which is, uh, you know, more of a, an association, uh, an influence, more in, indirect. But um, he went through, in the Roman Empire, Sol, the Roman version, went through a brief sort of renaissance of his own in kind of the, the 200s. Hmm. And uh, they used to call him Sol Invictus. <laughs> okay. uh, which is the unconquerable sun, um, and there's kind of different stories. Nobody's really sure why why it kind of came back, uh, but on December twenty fifth, 
274. Okay. The Emperor Aurelian dedicated a new temple to Sol Invictus hmm. uh, and has the Days Natalis Sol Invictus, which is the birthday hmm. of Sol Invictus. So his birthday was December 25th. So there yes. is a, a large controversy over how much did that influence uh where christmas is yes um and went, went into this a little bit but there's no real total consensus some some people some writers thought that it was actually uh sol invictus's birthday was put there because uh that had already been staked out as as christmas so was... uh, but then but then there's others so there's nobody knows really which one uh came first for, mm. for sure but it's kind of interesting, you know. Yeah. If, I think if you could have nailed that down as as the uh, as the deity who who staked where Christmas is, I think that that could have been a big one for him. I mean, I've always assumed that they just went with the little star of Bethlehem and used their impeccable astronomy skills <laughs> to just narrow that right down to the right day. So, no. So the, yeah, the, the, when I I did go into this one for a while, so it, it they they definitely early on would have thought that. Uh, based on where the shepherds were, that it was in the spring. That was that uh, right. But um, then there's some sort of myth about uh, the death day and the birthday of, uh, or the conception uh, being being uh, this death day being the conception day, mm-hmm. and so he would have had to been born three months before uh, his death day, and the death day was March 25th. So that's Got it. You know, science. More just and science of... and math. I mean, always hand in hand. <laughs> yep. Yeah, chock full of science in this one. <laughs> so, um, oh, and then helium is the other one. Yes. Uh, the the uh, element. Uh, gas, yes. So, yep. uh, but, I, you know, that's, so it's an interesting contrast. But I, I think I got to go with Athena on this one be, because the, uh, sort of that period where Helios kind of loses his luster and, and kind of gets forgotten about for a few hundred years. He's having a little bit of a comeback now, as witnessed on this podcast. <laughs> yes. Uh, but, you know, a little bit more recognized. But, yeah, he just sort of uh, gets forgotten about for a while. Yeah. I, I, I think I'm with you. I think I give it to Athena. You know, as a, as a, as a somebody who was worshiping soul for about three hours last week and had <laughs> – terrible repercussions uh maybe i do take that a bit personally to your point up front but no i think the biggest difference for me is that there's they both have strong legacies i feel like athena's is so much about athena herself whereas yep. is you know th- there's much more about the star of the sun that's like, associated with how we look at helios right. so yeah i think i think athena wins that round for me right yeah and, lo- and losing your losing your job for a couple hundred years sort of seems like yeah that's that's rough yeah so all right, and that moves us to our final uh, category, which is Matinee Idol. Yes. And that is who would make the better movie or limited series. Yes. Um, and I believe I'm going to go uh, first on this one. Sure. I always lose track. Um, so on this one, I am thinking uh, limited series here. Uh, you know, one of the things that I thought was interesting about Helios uh, was his entourage and, and roles kind of the sun king, kind of a, a minor king, uh, but has to 
maneuver around Jupiter. So I went into pull into the aspects of that story, uh, you know, both with some side plots with some of the other deities at court. You have those uh, characters uh, to to weave in, mm-hmm. and Helios's role as that minor king, um, you know, and I kind of even thought of like how it would start. I would start with, you know, shot of the sun, clear blue sky. Yeah. You know, you can see kind of the heat waves coming off of it. And mm-hmm. then you pan down, the sun bearing down on a courtyard. Mm-hmm. And a teenage boy looking up at the sun. Of course, that teenage boy is Phaethon, mm-hmm. uh, wondering about his paternity, maybe being teased by some <laughs> of the other students. Yep. Uh, the leader of the whom, by the way, is uh, a son of Zeus. Yeah, okay. uh, and that story was 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 a leader of the uh, people questioning his parentage. Mm-hmm. So then, then you go into the next shot is Helios pulling his chariot into the Sun Palace with his attendants, kind of swarming around him, setting that up. Uh, and then we have a dual track of the Sun Palace and Phaethon heading out there. Um, expand on that a little bit, and uh, you know, do some of these other stories. We kind of come into uh, as flashbacks. Eventually, Phaethon arrives, you know, gets his paternity admitted. But I sort of delay the promise and the chariot ride for a bit, let it kind of play out for a little little while. Phaethon is there in the glittering, exciting palace. But, you know, kind of feels inadequate. He's immortal, surrounded by all all deities. Yep. Um, You know, Helios is excited to have him there. You know, maybe even talks about you know, whether he could have Phaethon made immortal. Uh, but that insecurity by Phaethon leads to the blind promise. And again, uh, you know, a little bit longer with attempts for dissuading him to go by Helios. Uh, you know, maybe have one of the palace gods egg Phaethon on, like you know, one of the hour deities. Maybe 10 o'clock is the bad guy here. <laughs> right, sure. Just sort of... <laughs> Uh, a little bit shady. <laughs> right. uh, you have a little bit of a training mo- montage, uh, and then the climactic end with uh, Zeus zapping Phaethon and uh, Helios, you know, knowing that it had to be done, and then next day getting back up on his chariot, going yeah. back to work. Yeah, there's good good hero's journey there for sure. Yeah. Yep, and and some I would imagine some pretty uh, explosive special effects as well. Oh yeah, it's some budget there. Yeah, you're gonna, it's going to be a big check from a, from a prestige cable network. Yep. Yeah. Very good. Well, for if for Athena, I know that as we said that the, the story is pretty dark and violent, um, but I thought it might be better played for laughs. Uh, you know, given just play against type. So, um, as a genre, I haven't explored in these episodes yet. I thought, would it be good to have as a show a celebrity roast of Athena? So in the mold of you know, you've seen the old Friars Club roasts and. Comedy Central, where, you know, you'd have Athena sitting at, at the dais as the guest of honor. One by one, you'd have all the key figures in her life come by, have a few, you know, choice remarks for some little ribbing, get even in a friendly way. Um, you know, Zeus comes out, he kind of complains about giving, yeah, you gave me the worst headache, you're love my life, you know. The side comes out and says, like, you know, I'll make you a martini, but it's going to be with a twist, not an olive, I remember. Um, Hephaestus comes by, you know, says, hey, you know, sorry about the spill at your place. I know that was a new rug, my bad. Um, you know, maybe even the grizzly bear from the California seal makes an appearance, says a few adorable things. Um, in a climactic moment, the two women that, uh, that Athena transformed into the spider and the owl could finally confront her for those transformations. And Andrew, I have taken the liberty of casting the scene with some voice impressions to, to 
depicted its entirety. Um, but we are short on time, so I'll spare you that. Uh, <laughs> suffice it to say, yeah. we, any any number of casting choices for Athena, a uh, number of roast-worthy co- female comedians who've done wonderful work, Whitney Cummings, Kathy Griffin, maybe uh, Nikki Glaser, Lisa Lampanelli. And then all, you know, she would end the show as Athena would by getting back at all of them, giving it back to them just as 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 good as they got her. Right. And so everybody has a good time. All bygones are bygones. And to wrap it all up, I would insist that on this show, the master of ceremonies, the roast master, as they call him, I would be none other than my favorite comedian, Chris Rock, but with Hercules at his side for a little extra security. Topical. <laughs> rip from the headlines. <laughs> there you go. So, so that's uh, there. There you have it. You know, not, not the dark, uh, twisted take you might think, but uh, no. instead, uh, playing it for laughs. That is interesting. Interesting. All right. So there's a big contrast there. <laughs> <laughs> it's the beauty of the art form. It goes many yeah. different directions. Yeah. Yeah. I did not see that coming. Mm-hmm. Um. So, uh, yeah. When, when I was trying to put the 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 Helios thing together, I think. You know the. It is interesting that it's the um, that entourage and you know kind of that role. Uh, you know him just driving. I thought about like how you know, how can I make him driving the sun chariot? Mm-hmm. Interesting. I uh, had him as like like a long haul trucker. Mm. Oh yeah, <laughs> one version. Yep. Or some sort of astronaut. Um, sure. But uh, you know then you know the repetitiveness of it kind of kind of didn't play out. But I, that Phaethon story is kind of the the most interesting thing that uh, that happens to him. So yeah, I don't know. Um, hard to evaluate that that roast you know i think she could probably give pretty good <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah yeah i, I think i think it would go probably, both ways yeah i think she would probably give at least as good as as good as she got um you know if her, her brother aries was out there by just incoherent <laughs> screaming <laughs> it, it would so. be one for the ages well, I, I think as a piece of entertainment, as as much as I as I, I love the the lightheartedness of the roast, I think uh, I think your piece sounds like a, a much more well arced, uh, immersive theatrical experience. So I will I will have to vote for Helios for this one. Yeah, you know I I think um, I, I think I, I'm gonna go for. Uh, Helios as well. All right. So that does so that put us over the put, edge, right? Was that was that very close to over a tie. Edge. That's three two. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah I, that was very close to a tie. So, in uh, a bit of a surprise, I think yes. uh, we've had a have... few of them over over the season. And this is no exception. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I don't think you can't go by who who's just who's the most famous. You know that that plays into icon iconography. Uh, right. That's but, why it's only uh, one of the is, categories, not yeah. them all. Yes. That's right. Well, well, let's call it for episode six. Yeah. A reminder, of course, our theme music, as always, Andy Snow.dj. Uh, look him up. We're available all over. You get your podcasts. Uh, newly available on Amazon Music, but also on Apple, Google, Spotify, Stitcher. Um, we are still waiting on being a part of Pandora. And come on, guys. I mean, your namesake, yeah. the actual <laughs> Pandora, was in our episode five. How do you say no? I'm, I'm sure Joe Rogan has never right. mentioned Pandora. So come on, guys. Get on it. Um, like, subscribe, leave a review, five stars, tell your friends, see us on Twitter, the website, all the socials, the, 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 the playlist, it's all available to you. It's all ready for you to go. 
Right. And, uh, and as soon as we wrap up, we were, we're going to draw our straws for who's going to be part of uh, episode seven. So the wheels will begin to turn right away. Uh, thank you, Andrew, as always, for a lovely we'll get right on it. And, uh, and another another wild finish. And uh, we'll look forward yeah. to uh, joining everybody again for episode seven next time. All right. Thanks. Bye. See ya. Oh, 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 oh,